here we are again for another week diving into the musical archives of Chris Cochran or Phil Anderson. I'm Phil. He's I'm, Chris. I'm Chris. That's right. And uh, we are going to do another episode today of The Greatest Song You Never Heard, which is, of course, the deep dive into these musical archives. And neither, so I'm not driving today. Chris is driving. He just handed me a lyric sheet of the song. And I got to say, I've, I'm optimistically hopeful because the first line kind of rings a bell. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be so far off base that I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> but he has got me on virtually every song, which I don't think this is worth setting out to get each other. But no. there's a part of, if like the last week when we did the Powder Blues Band, he didn't know right. the band. And there, there's just this little validation for me. <laughs> it's like, okay, so at least I pulled something out, right? And uh, I, we're basically trying to shine a light on music that most people have never heard. That's right. The, the hardcore fans of these artists will look at us and roll their eyes. Of course they will. Of course they will. You are not who we're talking about. That's, a, that's absolutely right. But so Powder Blues fans that are like, oh my God. Well, they're going to hear this song from this artist today and say, okay, so I did, guess I didn't know that one, right? Right. And so if you listen to through these songs, you're going to like some, you're not going to like some. But the idea is to get you to start listening to some little deeper music from artists that you typically wouldn't have. We, it's funny you mention this because um, I was thinking through when I was much younger, uh, I've been listening to music a lot since I was a little kid. I mean, like I would listen one year I got a used um, record player for Christmas from my parents and I actually unwrapped and listened to records on it weeks in advance, wrapped it back up because I was so excited to have my own record player. Isn't that fun? Um, and so I, you know, for me, um, when I was younger, listening to music, if it didn't grab me right away, I hated it. And what I found is I like going back now and listening to songs that I didn't like as, as a younger person, but I appreciate now more. And even like, even the song last week, that's not my favorite song, but boy, I sure appreciate the experience of listening to it, hearing it, and, and, and really doing a deep dive on it. Well, you know what? And, and by the way, it, it, it first blush, you may not like it. And you may never like it, right? But right. it will expand your range and broaden your knowledge, right? Yep. Do you remember the song Lollipop? Yes. A lollipop, lollipop. We found that as kids in our house in my mom and dad's 45 collection. Wow. And played it on a record. This is how music lives on. I is, didn't know that song until I saw the movie Stand By Me as a teenager. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, a 45 wow. of Lollipop. And in, up until the last few years, I'm sure it's long gone, but I, I still have the 45. So, wow. I know. it's Music is really, really cool. It is something, uh, we were talking about this earlier, about the Clive Davis documentary, um, The Songbook of Our Lives. And there is a Alicia Keys um, quote that she had in the uh, documentary. And it's no matter where you are in life, music will bring you together. Yep. And it's got that unbelievable power. And so that's why I'm looking forward to today. Yes. Uh, listen to what you've got queued up. So today is one that I am super excited to bring to you uh, because of all of the, uh, what's the word, uh, ambience around this song and all of the ephemera that goes with this song. Uh, it's, it's a song that to me is definitely one of the greatest songs that most people have never heard. Uh, there's some debate 
uh, amongst the hardcore fans as to okay. what this song is actually about. Ooh. So I would love for you to listen to the yeah. words and think through like what is the author trying to convey here. I do have a question. Though. Yes. May I ask it? Yeah. Do you, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and they say, honestly, and then they say what? Right? Yes. And you're thinking, so is this a... <laughs> are you, like a, dis- a disclaimer for everything else you say is not honest? Dishonest, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you just said, I am so excited to bring this song. I'm thinking, ah, are there some episodes you're not excited about the song? No, no, no. I like, <laughs> well, you got to understand, like, I wake up at a, if on the scale of energy of zero to 10, I wake up at a nine most days. That's fine. So That's this really for awesome. me is one of those moments where when I'm excited, normally it's a nine, this is a 10. Beautiful. Okay. I would say you probably wake up at a 10 and this would be. All the way to 11. All right, let's get it started. This week's greatest song you have never heard. Cause I 
Okay. Better than all right. Oh, dang it. <laughs> I knew it was one of them. All right. What do you think? Uh, two things stand out. Okay. For, um, so does Magdalena have any biblical uh, reference? Yes. Kind of. Okay. Uh, in a really, really positive light or is it just kind of superficially? I think it's just superficial. Okay. Because who would ever name their child Magdalena? Right. Okay, uh, but I didn't want to disrespect the Bible. <laughs> it seemed like that might have been in there. Anyway, uh, first thing that I noticed, again, this is where you and I are diametrically diametrically different in our love of music. You go with lyrics first. I do, yes. And, and then it, go, it progresses down. Yes. I really go with music first and then it progresses down. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Now, musically, uh, I hear this underlying thing with the piano, which I love. Yes. I, I love because first of all, it's not obnoxious, right? but it's there and it lets you know it's there and it brings you back home to the song. It kind of is a, a signal, an indicator of where you are in the song. If that makes sense. Yes. Okay. So I like that. And I also like where the first learn of every first line of every uh, verse is me and Magdalena or tell me Magdalena. Mm-hmm. So it's very simple, very simple. Yes. Again, it marks it's an indicator of that. I like that as well. Um, the line that I told you while we we're listening to this, that's an interesting line. What do you see in the depths of your night? Mm-hmm. That one I'm like, okay. All right, that changes the whole tenor of this song. Yes. In my opinion. And so uh, on a scale of one to ten, I give this song probably a seven and a half to eight. Okay. Yeah. It, uh, it's a very easy listening song. And as you will point out, there is a depth that I probably didn't get. That's uh, that's very on multiple levels actually. So did you? What did you think the song was about? By the way, because there is some serious debate as to what this song is actually about. I, okay, on a on a fairly obvious level, is about a a, a person and Magdalena. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, and there is this one, the, the best she ever looks is in the light that she's under. Like right now, no one, this, this is a common line in the song. And I don't know if I've ever loved any other half as much as I do in this light she's under. Mm -hmm. So that pretty much is the pinnacle of his love for Magdalena is when she's in this light, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. And I don't know what that is, but again, on a very simplistic way, it could be the sun setting or uh, a candlelight or something to that effect, or it could be something completely different. So, uh, help me understand the controversy behind this. Well, song. nobody really knows what the song is about. So, um, I when I listen to this song, I actually hear um, the the singer singing about his relationship with Magdalena, and there's probably some trauma that's gone on in Magdalena's life, mm-hmm. and. The, there's these two lines that he says, everything lost will be recovered, mm. which is such a great line 
you know, it, it deals with redemption. It deals with loss. It's a, and it's, and, and when I hear him sing, I have never loved her as much as I do in this light she's under. I just picture, he says we're driving down through Monterey. Right. And I picture like a, a, a man and his, his significant other in a convertible cruising down the beach in a melancholy mood going, you know what? Your life is, has been shitty, but guess what? It can all be redeemed. Draw and the, so for me, that's, sand, yeah. yeah, that sets to me like, but there's no real, nobody really knows what the song was about because um, the two gentlemen singing this song um, are from a group um, and they were both in their, one was in his late 60s, like 68 or 69 when he sang this. The other one was 73 when he sang this song, um, but they didn't write this song. The song oh. was actually written by a gentleman by the name of Ben Gibbard, who is the lead singer of the band uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Oh, we know that. Another Seattle band that we yeah. both know and love. Um, and Ben Gibbard wrote this song uh, for an album. Uh, the band that sang this song is actually uh, The Monkees. The Monkees. Yes, and it's from a 2016 album called Good Times, uh, which entered the charts at, I think, number four or three uh, when it was released. And the interesting thing about The Monkees is the... It was a long. This is their sixteenth studio album, I, th- I believe. If I if I remember, the Monkees right. had sixteen studio albums. Let me, let me look. Well, they've done several since then. Yeah, twelfth studio album. Sorry. So it's funny because uh, my eye glanced over to your computer. Yeah. And I did see Monkees up there. This was before you asked, said not look, but I'm like, I'm sure he's not going to play a Monkees tune. And so I, but I think I know this this. The name of the song is Me and Mag. Me and Magdalena, Magdalena. written yeah. by Ben Gibbard. Uh, it was sung by Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolans um, as a duet. Oh, um, they sang this, but the, all the monkeys played on it. Uh, well, at this point, Davy Jones had already passed away. Really? Yes. So this, so this a... was released after Davy Jones had passed away. What year? Um, 2016. And by the way, it's one of my favorite albums. It is such a good album. And the reason that it's so good is this album was actually produced um, by a gentleman that you may or may not know. His name is Adam Schlesinger. Adam Schlesinger was in the lead singer for a band it's, called... It's uh, Laura's daughter, uh, Laura's son. <laughs> no, it's not Laura's son. I do know Adam Schlesinger. Um, he was the lead singer for Fountains of Wayne, did a lot of production okay. uh, lately, died last year of COVID, actually. Um, but what they did for this album was Adam Schlesinger teamed up with a longtime, a very small record label called 7A Records that mm-hmm. does a lot of songs um, specifically from the Monkees and their solo albums, uh, but also Boyce and Hart and anybody mm-hmm. associated with them. Um, and a gentleman from that record label teamed up with Adam Schlesinger to produce this album. And they went back to the old formula of Monkey songs. So all the songs, the last album they did before this is called Just Us, and they wrote and performed every song on the album, and it's terrible. Mm. But this album, every song on the album is written by um, Andy Partridge, who's the lead songwriter and lead singer for XTC, Rivers Cuomo, the lead singer of Weezer, Boyce and Hart write a song on this, there's a Neil Diamond song on it. Really? Even Noel Gallagher, one of the um, lead singers for the band Oasis, um, writes a song on this album. How many How many songs on this album? Well, depending on which version of you get, there's like 12 um, and they're all really good. Um, and so it's a very interesting album to me because it was the first time that they had gone back to that original formula that made them hits. And they went to today's current hit makers and said, hey, do you know the Monkees? And every single person was like, oh my gosh, yes, we want to do this because they were all Monkees fans. Right, right. And even Noel Gallagher, when he got this song, um, him and a gentleman who, if you were from Britain, you would know his name is Paul Weller, a pretty big celebrity there. Um, they were asked to record or to write a song for this album. And he goes, well, Paul and I got this 
thing that we're working on. They're like, we'll take it. And they hadn't even finished anything other than really? like a bridge. Really? And so they had to go back and finish the song because they had like a week and a half. Um, but it's such a good album. There's a variety of different styles on it. They even grab an old Neil Diamond song um, called Love to Love that was um, uh, scrapped and never released officially on an album really? that Davy Jones did the lead vocals on. So they brought that back. So there's even a Davy Jones song on the album, even though he passed away at that point. And it is every if it for the monkeys, it is everything you want out of a brand new album. So uh, for those who don't know, yes, two things. One probably not obvious, but will be obvious very soon. You are a huge monkeys fan, especially Mike Nesmith. Yes, that's okay. correct. But other than that, most people probably don't know how the monkeys were even formed. That's true. You want to give a quick uh, overview of that? Yeah, totally. So um, interestingly enough, the Monkees were actually formed in 1965-ish, late 65, early 66. Uh, They only did two seasons of their show, by the way. Um, And they were formed literally as they were doing a television show based on the Beatles' um, Hard Day's Night television show or uh, movie. And they put Um, out a talent talent search, right? And they put out a talent search, um, literally put out like... Um, ads in newspapers and um, put together four gentlemen who were going to pretend they were a band, but they blurred the lines because they also sang all the songs. So by the time they hired these guys, they've got an entire album, almost two albums worth of recordings. In fact, they probably could have done three or four albums out of all the recordings they'd done in advance. And they hired these guys and then they went, well, who should sing this song? And who should sing this song? And so uh, a really good example is if you get really deep into like some of the box sets and stuff like that, You can find like very famous songs um, that another monkey, you've always heard this song like, I'm, I'm making this up because it right, doesn't exist, right, but right, like right. say Last Train to Clarksville right. and Peter Tork will be singing it or Davy Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, funny side story, this is how nerdy I am when it comes to the monkeys. Um, <laughs> Peter Tork, who was uh, the bass player and the quiet dumb one in the band, right. he played the dumb one, um, was actually the most talented and accomplished musician of all of them. And um, he was living at the time with um, Stephen Stills of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Interesting. And Stephen Stills went and auditioned for uh, the Monkees, and they said, your teeth are too jacked up. We can't put you on television. That's so he came home and, had, and, and failed this audition, and Peter Turk started making fun of him. And he goes, well, if you think you're so great, why don't you go audition? And he got it. And he got the part. <laughs> yeah. So who's the drummer for the Monkees? Uh, Mickey Dolenz. Mickey Dolenz. That was my favorite monkey. Really? I just use a goofy sort of guy. When you get into the monkey's story, it is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Dolan's actually had a career in television long before the monkeys. He played, he had a fairly decent hit called Circus Boy okay. as a kid. Um, he, uh, Davy Jones actually toured as the Artful Dodger in Oliver, both on the West End in London and in New York City. Wow. Um, had a, an accomplished career as both a dancer, singer, and on on Broadway. Which uh, many groups at that time, whether you were in, whether you were in music or uh, movies or acting or something like that, you had to have multiple talents. You did. You could not just hang your hat on one really good talent. Right. It, there were too many of those people out there. You had to be uh, multifaceted, right? Yeah, and Mike, it's interesting too because uh, again, Peter Tork was hanging out with all the like Cros- those were his friends were Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and that right. whole group of people. Uh, and then uh, Mike Nesmith actually is his he came from money. His mom invented liquid paper. 
That's right. You said that. That's and, so funny. And he actually had a couple of regional hits in Texas as Michael Blessing was his name, uh, where he had because back then re, a lot of songs were regional, and then they would get national airplay right. as different radio stations picked them up. So anyway, huge nerdy monkeys fan. But my favorite part about this song is a, it's written by Ben Gibbard, who's just a spectacular songwriter, and I love his music. B, it it is a modern song. It's not a tribute to bubblegum pop or the 60s or it's just a meaningful song from today and it was everything I wanted because it doesn't sound like a couple of like 70 year old dudes singing which oftentimes these albums turn out oh, to be oh for sure yeah you listen to uh, songs that uh, bands are trying to continue with right uh, you can tell they're they're just tired they're worn out it's life on the road it's supporting the album the stuff it's not taking care of their voice that's it's, there's that too and there's the other things that go along a lot of times with it but just regardless even if you didn't drink and do drugs and right. stuff like that the road life is a hard life I think that's changed now for many bands that do well. They know the value of taking care of your body, taking care of your voice, all of that stuff. There's a funny story along that lines, and then we'll wrap this up. A funny story. Um, Lou Reed was once talking to a friend of his uh, about Axl Rose. And Axl Rose had waited three hours getting stoned in a hot tub before he went to play a show. So he's three hours late for the show. Everyone there is waiting for three hours for Axl Rose to show up to start this concert. And... The gentleman he's talking to says, what a jerk. His only job is to show up and play music. And he's sitting in a hot tub getting stoned for three hours. And Lou Reed stopped and he goes, no. Him sitting in the hot tub getting stoned is his job. That's what a rock and roll artist does. Is they are getting stoned in a hot tub for three hours. If he didn't do that stuff, he wouldn't be Axl Rose. He would just be a singer in a band. Interesting. And uh, I'm going to piggyback on that. That uh, Janis Joplin said when... She was hired by Clive Davis and her voice kind of grates on me a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's talking about someone who just screams, but they signed her and she said, well, let's, this is great. Thank you. Let's sleep together. <laughs> and he said, no, business is business. He probably took a look at her and like, I'm good. <laughs> well, we hope that you thought that was one of the greatest songs you never heard. Me and Magdalena from the Monkees. And uh, if you want to get it, it's actually available on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere else. If you want to check out more about the Monkees. Phil, tell people where they can hear us and look at us and find us on the internet outside on the of this world, podcast. World Wide Web, the greatest song you never heard.com. Plus on Twitter, GSYNH Podcast. And of course on Facebook. By the way, anytime you want message us on Facebook, message us on Twitter, leave a comment on our website. They can do that, right? They absolutely can. Perfect. And so uh, we will respond and we would love to get ideas. Doesn't mean we'll play them because one of us has to like the song. That's true. Uh, Until next week, let's uh, wrap it up. We'll see you next week. On the greatest song you've never heard podcast. Perfect.